0: 2020 changed the trajectory of my life forever I was 24, succeeding in a job that offered huge financial reward Yet I was unhappy and unfulfilled My chronic illness, cystic fibrosis, had caused my lungs to bleed And it left me in a hospital bed Now I left that job and created this podcast And I left that hospital bed to run marathons And prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances But rather how we respond to them On this show, we discuss the adversity that my guests and I face and how we overcome that adversity. This is A Lot To Talk About. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It is your boy, the captain of the ship the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver. Of course, you can call me Brad here today with a guest who I have admired from the distance for a little while now. He has a brand called Porter James Sport, which just aligns with my style of fashion, the kind of clothes that I love to wear. And I hope that one day I'm wearing... Porter James Sport head to toe but today's guest is all about living a life well designed and we're going to dive into that and the concept behind it the question he asked himself to make sure that his life looked and sounded as though and so ladies and gentlemen from your home your car or wherever you are give a very warm welcome to Joshua Hayes how are you brother
1: good bro thank you that's a that's the best intro I've ever had
0: bro you deserve it take take that <laughs> recording put it on play and listen to it every morning brother because you deserve it man I I love uh, what you're doing. I'm a I'm a fan of your work and I'm a fan of your brand. And we just got the opportunity to to shoot the shit a little bit before we hit record and talk about, you know, some of what's been happening in the last two and a half years for you. I guess to fill the audience in, you were in the branding and advertising space many years before and found yourself at a place where you weren't exactly happy with the kind of life you were living or what the future projections look like. There was a question that was encouraged by a mentor of yours to ask not just what does your dream life or job look like, but what is your ideal day? What does your dream day look like? And and reverse engineer that and create something that provided you with the opportunity to live as so. Talk to mm. me about that question you ask yourself and and the answers that come to the surface for you.
1: Yeah, exactly, man. A uh, bit of a, as you touched on, bit of a backstory. Like I kind of had my dream job at 26 and kind of realized it wasn't all that it was cracked out to be. Um mostly because I guess when you create your dream job as like a fresh kid at a, at a uni, you don't really, you know, have the depth to answer those questions intimately. And I got to the point where, yeah, ultimately I was really unhappy and um, it just didn't make sense because I value, you know, career right up there as one of my number one values. And I kind of had my dream job and I was unhappy. So I was like, what's, what's going on? So I, I spoke to my mentor and he's like, well, forget about your dream job. I want you to um, ask yourself. You know, get out your your, your Moleskin diary and write down a page. Flesh it out. Spend some time with it. Write down what your dream day looks like. And um, ultimately, like a dream day will inform a dream life. And then, you know, if you can find a way to, I guess, monetize or 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 live your dream day every day, um, you'd hope life would be a lot. Life should be. Life shouldn't be too bad. Um, so that, that's the question I asked myself when I was 26, um, 27, and kind of um, fleshed it out for a little bit. And then I think ultimately what happened was, um, you know, in, in life, I think, you know, windows of opportunity present themselves. And you've got to know when it's the right time to take a leap of faith and jump through that window of opportunity. And I think because I had done the work and and I guess really understood Uh, intimately um, that I was unhappy where I was, a new change needed to come so that when a change did present an opportunity to present itself, I jumped through that window and kind of took it. And that um, ultimately led me to, to, to create Porter James Sports.
0: Can I ask you how hard it was to take the leap? Was it something that felt easy? Was it something that felt challenging? Because a lot of people ask me when I was personally in that situation and I left my career to do what I do now, they say, how did you summon the courage to do that?
1: I, I think it happens in small parts, bro. Like I don't think you it's not like it's not like I'm like, you know, earning 150 grand one day, then just walk into my boss's office, slam a resignation letter on the table, and then I'm on like no money the next day. It's like, you know, I was and still to this day, like I I work my ass off like 80 hours a week plus and like I'm like doing multiple things. And it's like a transition. So like I would do, um, I was doing branding and advertising, right? And then I was like, I was like, I don't wanna be here. I wanna control my own calendar. I wanna you know, control the creative output I'm putting out. So I was like, okay, right. So if I branch out into fashion, how can I do that, but then do this stuff too? So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna freelance a little bit. I'm gonna freelance 20, 25 hours a week. That will give me enough to pay myself, whatever to cover the bills. And then that allows me to go fifty five k, also oh, fifty five hours on my side hustle. Um, am like, hey, cool. So that was like a transition entirely. And I was lucky that I, I guess I had a skill set that was able to kind of work at a, a freelance level, but also not really like I created that. I saw that as like a stepping stone to kind of get to where I wanted. So, I think you need. I think it's like a strategic decision, and it's like I kind of worked out. You know, I was also when I was working that other company, I was. I was starting the clothing thing. I was doing samples already, you know, like it wasn't like I'd, you know, I was just working after hours and I think you've just gotta, you just got to, you just kind of got to make that transition. Um, the the lines are blurred if you will.
0: So we talk about that concept, right. And and I love exactly what you're saying here, like thinking about and planning the transition because planning the transition is something I definitely didn't do. Like if I look back in hindsight, I wish I understood and like, I don't regret anything because it's made me the man I am. And I've learned so many lessons because of it. But if I look back in hindsight, understanding that the transition, maybe it was blissful ignorance. Maybe it was a bit of naivety that I thought, well, man, I've got this idea and I've got this skill set, and man, it's just going to, it's going to come to fruition straight away. And it's going to be paying my bills. And I'm going to be the the biggest podcast in Australia by the end of 2020 and life will be sweet definitely not the case. It's still not the case. And, and, you know, three and a half years down the track, I think, how do I have understood and known maybe I could have taken my foot off the pedal, but I know that when I made the decision, I was at rock bottom. Like I couldn't have stayed any longer mentally, physically, my body was giving out of me. My mind was giving out of me. And I was in a place where I needed to change. I needed to transition, but it's likely because I didn't ask myself quality enough questions early. I didn't ask myself why I felt the way that I felt. I mm-hmm. didn't give myself the opportunity to to create that life or design that life, as you say, early enough in the picture. And so for me, it come quite, I guess, quite in a matter of all at once. Mm-hmm. But when you talk about a life well designed, that could be different and defined differently by everyone, right? So, what did a life well designed look like to you? Like, give me the daily rundown.
1: Um. At a, at, a, at a more casual level to start, like, I didn't want to set an alarm, really. I wanted to, like, you know, I still want to get up at a respectful time, but I didn't want to have to get up at, you know, 6 just to sit in traffic. You know what I mean? Where I could get up at, like, 7 and just, like, go down to my local, local cafe and work with a coffee after I've had a journal session or something. Um, I wanted to – I love training, so I wanted to, like, gym when it wasn't peak peak time. I don't have to wait 20 minutes for a bench and ask some stranger, hey, bro, how, much, how many more sets you got? um I wanted to um wear whatever I wanted to work like you know some days my uniform sweatpants and a hoodie and like that's cool that's how I dress you know and I don't and I and I want to have the freedom to do that um I want to make my lunch fresh from home you know I don't want to have to pack in a little lunch bag so all that sort of stuff but um at a more deeper level um basically it came down to control of my calendar um like, you know, not having to, like, you know, work to um, what my boss said or, 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 you know, have a client whip on a Wednesday because this is when we have our weekly whip sort of thing. But um, I think also, like, creativity. Like, I was working with big global companies, like, let's say, Mercedes-Benz or Nestle and whatever. And it's like, when you work with those brands, creativity is really defined at a global level and you're kind of having to conform to, um, hey, this is what this brand's look and sounds like. And I get that, that's consistency and it's how you build a global brand. But like, ultimately, like I, w- I had ideas and I wanted to express them and I wanted to, um, you know, have autonomy on my creativity and, and, and see them out. Um, so that was a, a big thing. And then also people probably, bro, like, you know, at these big corporate companies I was working with or and even in a lot of the time, people are just there to collect a salary, you know, um, there's no life behind their work. I'm sure you know this, Um, whereas like say even today, like outside of the fashion space, I'm talking to you, like you like inspired me already, and it's like you're just connecting with people that fill you with life, and I wanted that, but on like at like an every meeting type thing, rather than like a I've got to go seek it out, and that's just because I guess you intentionally get to, or you get to choose now who, 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 who you sum yourself, who you surround yourself with.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, I I love that, brother, and it's I think it's so important that we ask ourselves these questions because it feels as though, as a society, we almost feel bound to doing what everyone else is doing. Like, you know, the model, especially in Oz and New Zealand, the model is, and let's talk about two countries where Tor Poppy Syndrome is a thing. Thanks. You leave school, and if you don't leave school and get a trade, you leave school and you go to uni and you get a degree and you don't necessarily get a degree in something that inspires you or something that fills your cup. You get a degree in something you think you can get a job in, a job that will be proficient enough to pay the bills and get you through to Saturday or Sunday so that you can enjoy maybe a dinner out or beers with mates or so that you can buy some things that will impress some people who don't really mean anything to you. And then you get to a certain point where you know, the midlife crisis is common, right? Or even now the quarter life crisis where people then get to a point in their life where they're like, oh, I'm not happy. And my mental health is challenged because of this and my physical health or, you know, my relationships are challenged by this. And I'm taking out my frustrations and my anger on the people around me, the people I'm supposed to be loving, but too bad, so sad. This is the life that I'm bound to. Yeah. And then people spend the rest of their life in this struggle of, not wanting to get up in the morning and you know, not wanting to go to bed at night because it means another day is going to bring the same challenges and the same bullshit. And so I, I wonder why we don't ask ourselves these questions early enough and that's why I, I love the power of storytelling. I love the fact that we can be sitting here right now listening to your story and hearing how you ask yourself these questions, but not only ask yourself these questions in a way that, um maybe like i did was a little bit naive and a little bit ignorant to the fact that you still need to afford to live you still need to be able to create a sustainable life but to ask these informed questions questions that can allow you maybe to go to the job nine to five that you don't particularly feel super passionate about but to rock up with passion because everything else designed around it fills your cup
1: yeah and also like knowing that you can rock up to the nine to five but knowing that's a stepping stone because you've thought about where you want to be in a few more steps. And ultimately I think entrepreneur, like good entrepreneurs, like entrepreneurship is like, you you need to be such a generalist. And I think like what makes a good entrepreneur is like skill set acquisition. So like, if you can be in a job that you know, it's not your final destination, but like you're acquiring a vast amount of skills that are going to serve you when you do do this, that's totally good. Like I, I wouldn't have been in a place to start my own company probably any sooner than kind of 28 years old. Um, So like, but I'm happy that I did my time working for other people and learning lots so that I kind of had that skill set. And just something else I'd say to, um, like to echo exactly what you've just said is a question I often tell people when they ask me, hey bro, how do I start this or whatever I do that, or I'm having doubts. I just stop and say, if not now, then when? You, what you want to be you want to be you want to be 40 with like three kids and like a mortgage like good luck trying to go out on your own and leave your 150k job then like 100 now's the time they got golden handcuffs on now's the time like now's the time and also like like the the often like the people who like are most successful are the ones who like weren't afraid to fail over and over again like everybody fails like it's part of like being a winner like you have to fail so just like fail fail fast learn from it go again
0: can i ask you a question on that right so and i completely agree with you i think failure is understood incorrectly failure is something that has been branded bad for years and years but you know you look at all of the greats and i love kobe's got so many great quotes around failure and and how it is an opportunity to grow and just even this week listening to The Obstacle is the way um, mm, by right, Ryan Holiday. Holiday. Yeah, I've just started listening to that book. And you know, one of the first lines in the book is the obstacle is the path. And then he says adversity is the advantage. And I and I love that mindset and that perspective on it. I wonder though, were you challenged? Was your or maybe I should say, was your pride or your ego challenged at any point? in the transition phase because you know when you go from steady income and the ability to do or live a certain style of life was there a point in which you had to remove your ego from the equation to you know remove your pride and say that hey my lifestyle and my way of living may be changed and may have to come with sacrifice to do what i love every day
1: totally yeah it 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 does um but it's i think made up for in other ways i mean i I still i still go through that man like like i earn like a pretty i guess decent money i'm not loaded but banks don't banks won't give me a um a mortgage because i work for myself so like they want they want to see like even though you can earn more than someone who earns a salary like they want to see a salary they want to know you get paid this much every week and stuff so my friends are buying houses and 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 you know some of them even their second houses and then you're kind of like oh no I'm just kind of doing my thing and like you're like wait why do I care about that do I really care about that it's like no I don't like I care about what I'm doing and I know I'm doing the right thing and I've got to stick to it and that possibly love my friends but like might end up at that place like you've said kind of perhaps 40 and kind of like shit I never really got to like go do what I wanted to Mm. so I think I think yeah um Ego and pride is something you've got to check yourself on, but also I think kind of full circle, going back to those questions that you asked yourself earlier, why am I doing this? Like, I think you can rationalize the emotive decision, the emotive feelings quite quickly.
0: 100%. I I have to ask, you know, you've designed this life that fills your cup, that makes you feel purpose-driven, that gives you the passion, the happiness you need to, to live every day with a smile on your face. I wonder sometimes, does it almost feel like you've built a fortress that is unbreakable and unmoldable in ways? I wonder how you feel when maybe new opportunities come into your life. Are you sometimes hesitant to bring new people into your life, to bring new opportunities and, and potentially pivot and change path because you've created something that
1: feels so precious? Good question, man. Um, I don't think I've thought about it too much. I think, i do think i think i just have a very good moral compass with like whether this is going to serve me or not i don't maybe i'm lucky maybe that's because i've done the work but like i know pretty quick if like something's going to deter from what i'm doing i feel um you know i do you know i mean i am open to opportunity like i moved to to I my business was going well in auckland and i had a i mean a massive network and i'm moved to Aussie to kind of be with a girl I met a year ago so I am open to things when they come um but I think all of that is kind of aligned with like yeah will this serve me I mean maybe look maybe I could be more open-minded I don't even know but uh, it's a really good question but I, I think yeah I think the answer to the question is I've I am quite sure of who I am which is a, a an ongoing journey and I reflect on that question a lot and I think the more self-aware I am of that question, the more, the better informed I am to know on a daily basis whether certain things, people, opportunities are right or wrong for where I'm going.
0: Man, I think it's so important that you say that because, so I'm a big fan of a, a gent who's actually from Melbourne, Ben Crow. Ben Crow's, my, have you ever heard of Ben?
1: I don't think so. I'm really right. back to names. I might've seen his Face or work, whatever you do, I don't know. Does
0: some awesome work around three questions in particular. The first question, who am I? The second, what do I want? The third, how do I get there? Mm. And like, they're the three big questions he describes in life. But I think it's that first question of who am I that allows you to ask and inform yourself of what you want in life. I don't think you can reverse that. I don't think you can fully understand what you want in life if you don't fully first understand or ask yourself the question of who am I? Mm. And I think we're often we're almost sometimes told who we should be based off, especially in a world where social media is so prevalent. We see what other people are doing, who they say they are. We want to impress other people. We want to fit in as opposed to um, belong mm. in in the right group or the right space. And I think that first question and, and particularly what you said there about understanding the foundation of who you are, it definitely allows you to make informed decision on what you want and how to then move towards that in life? And, yeah, I just love that that's the base foundation of everything you do and ask yourself. I want to talk to you about what you said just there in that little piece around moving to Melbourne for love. Mm. You know love is something that's positively impacted my life in the last six months. I want to ask you what what love and having good support systems in your life has done for you on this journey?
1: That's a really good question. Um I think I don't know, like what is it There's that saying, like, um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. You know, yeah, and I like that. Like, and it's, I just think, you know, my partner, she's, I don't, she's just incredibly selfless. Um, and I admire that. I'm a lot, whether I know it or not, a lot more selfish. You know, um, and what I mean by that is like, you know, I'll work long nights and sometimes she'll see I'm busy and she'll make my dinner for me she'll do my washing or she works too but she'll see when you know um the load needs to be um the load needs to kind of be lightened off me and she's great like that also my also my relationship with my mom is huge for me like like I've kind of I don't know if she's like my anchor like whenever I am kind of just maybe struggling with perhaps the pressures of life i think just you know just having a chat with mom kind of really grounds me um i've also got a couple of like best friends you know i've who been friends with for 20 years um since the start of high school and i get a phone call from one of them blundy he'll call me every day at like 4 30 on his way home from work and i'm just like half the time i'm like bro piss off man get some you need to get busier like and i'm, and I'm like just annoyed that he's calling me because I'm so stressed. And then when I think about it, I'm like, damn, like, I don't know. I think I hate, I imagine what life would be without these people. And it's like, I would feel they just sent to me, you know? And I think, I think maybe I'm trying to answer this question as I go. I've never, I haven't thought about it as deep. No, I love
0: it. You're saying great things, man. Things that I resonate with.
1: I, I think honestly, bro, like it's almost like I've got, I don't need a lot of friends um i've got plenty of acquaintances but i've just got a few people who i really care about partner parents sisters and you know maybe five friends and i think so long as i've i've got those at my core i feel like i can do anything you know like i'm like nothing will be that bad you know like i can start this venture i can move on the other side of the world i'm gonna do undertake a you know a physical challenge that i might fuck out on i don't know but like i'm gonna do this but like end of the day like they're always there and i think that kind of just grounds me and centers me and gives me the confidence to kind of do yeah
0: bro like i'm it. i'm so big on what you said just there because all of that resonates with me heavily like i am so blessed that i have an incredible partner who it's funny we done recently um one of the people that i had on the podcast was a neuroscientist by the name of katerina coon And she does this assessment on the five primal emotions of human personality. Mm. And my results were quite rare in the sense that they are, I'm high rank, high care at the same time. So I have a high desire to achieve personal success and my personal goals. But at the same time, I'm highly wired to care for my people, my closest people. And weirdly, those two don't normally coexist. Mm -hmm. She explained to me. But for me personally, it's, that's just how I'm wired. And it's likely because of my story and everything that's gone into it. But then with my partner, Soph, Soph was high care, high guard. So Soph likes Mm -hmm. security, consistency, but loves to care for her people, loves to care about her people and loves to support them in their progress and goals. So Mm -hmm. we align like perfectly in the sense that I have all of this ambition and she still has ambitions in her life, but she she often puts my ambition ahead of her own. Mm. And so she's like the most amazing support system. So I I have to be conscious of never being too selfish that she's forgotten or her ambition, her dreams, goals are forgotten. Yeah. That's... But her her biggest thing is like, I just want to see you do well and us create a life together that has happiness and love and consistency and a family and all of that.
1: How do you so know when you're, you're being too selfish? How do you know? Is it something, does she pull you up?
0: Probably no, because she's so high care. Yeah. But I find that I have to sometimes ask myself the question of how would I feel if I was in her position? How would I feel if I'm not being heard if my time isn't being respected? And and I make a really conscious effort because of how grateful I am to have her in my life that I, I am doing that. So I don't think I ever go too far down the the selfish or self-centered route Like I'm pretty, I think I'm pretty lucky that I am high care, high rank. So like before I met Soph, I'd never had a, an actual like partner. Mm -hmm. Like I'd gone through life my whole life where I found, I found it really hard to find people whose values and morals were, were connected with mine. I found it hard to find someone I felt super connected to and felt like I could be super vulnerable and honest with, but I had the closest family unit, like, my parents have been divorced for 12, 13 years, but are still like good friends. Uh, my my little sister, she's two and a half years younger than I am, but I speak to her on FaceTime every day and see her every week. She's like one of my best mates. And similar to you, I've got a very tight circle of like five, six, maybe even like eight really good mates that I'd consistently see and speak to. Four of them that i more consistently see, but... I have a lot of acquaintances, but I'm learning at this point in my life that all of the acquaintances I used to make time for and used to see, I I still care for them and I still think they're amazing people. But I am always, and, and this is a question I'll ask you, I'm always, I always struggle with the idea that I have to say no to those people. It, yeah. bro, it breaks my heart because I just want to be the guy who everyone feels like they can lean on and rely on. And I want to make sure that I can give time to people. And I don't want to feel like I'm saying, no, but man, I'm, I'm stressed because Mm -hmm. I I can't rock up at nine o'clock, check the sheet, go home at five and fit everyone else in around that. Like it's me that has to put in the effort and create the success and create the opportunity or all of this just dies. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like challenged by that? That you can't be everything for everyone?
1: Bro, this is, this is, we're very similar. Um, I really struggle to say no, especially in a professional sense. I get people ask me for my time all the time, um, advice. Um, I guess maybe I'm, I'm relatively sound and well-rounded. So people come to me for just general health, uh, general advice. Um, but mostly around business. Um, and then, and when people I work with, I give 110% to, and, um, ultimate yeah to answer your question bro I really struggle with this and I think I I've noticed especially in the last year oh sorry this year 2023 I'm struggling with this more than ever um and what's it's got me to a point where like I'm finding moments of fatigue and unhappiness and stuff creep back into my life again despite everything else being good uh and i actually I actually started speaking to a therapist for the first time bro um like i've had i've had, I've had two sessions with her she's amazing um and this is something I, I talk about and basically um you know i i just don't create time for myself and i in my head i'm like how i almost feel selfish that i would want to create more time for myself because i work 70 80 hours a week my partner barely gets to see me as I am I need to call my mom more you know but ultimately like I actually also need to like schedule in more time for myself and put myself first and part of that needs to be like ultimately like like oh I just wish I could just I get dms all the time like about the brand about me I wish I could just ignore them but I'm like I care so much about responding to you and I want to help and I want to go into and it I think what i'm learning is like i've only got so many chips in the bank on a daily basis and i kind of give them all away and there's not much left for me um and yeah this is it's like a really topical thing for me right now that i'm working really hard on to like i'm going to start taking a half day off a week and just like just go for a trail run and like hit an ice bath in a sauna and take myself out for lunch you know and i'm like i have to actively like schedule time for me and to answer your question in a really long-rounded way like a lot of that's going to be like like just because you dm me doesn't mean you have access to me and i mean that in the nicest possible way because i really care but it's like i'm just gonna like be a bit slower to respond on certain things for a while you know
0: bro i feel like i'm listening to my own thoughts here as you say that because i've literally thought the same thing like i and and similar to you, I have many of the same outlets as you, like the run, ice bath sauna, yeah. lunch or a coffee, like, but I feel so selfish, especially because my work is this, like my work is providing value through storytelling, valuable insight off the back of story. When someone DMs me or when someone says, hey, can I have a coffee and pick your brain for 30 minutes, 60 minutes, there's genuinely like that, you know, you feel that lump in your throat that, oh, like, I know I don't have the time and that time is going to take away from me or someone who I really truly value. Yeah. But if I'm not willing to give them my time, then are they not going to support me on my journey? Are they going to feel bad? Am I I a bad person? And I actually said to my partner the other day, I'd like to see, and it's funny that you even said, I'd like to see a psychologist, therapist just around that because I feel like I need to hear it from someone outside of my circle who can see the pressure it puts on me. Yeah. Say, hey, that's not something you need to put on your shoulders. That's not a weight that you need on your back right now. And man, it's it's such a challenge, isn't it? And I almost feel as though people can exploit your time. Not that everyone's intention is that, but your time can be exploited because they think, well, man, Josh runs his own business. Brad runs his own business. Their time's flexible. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Their exactly. time's flexible so that they can mold around me, but it, man, it can't be the case. I yeah. think, whilst even when you've got your own thing, your time might be flexible, but you've still got time blocked in to work and do your thing, right?
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's man, it's so true. Um, I think it's like just reframing it, right? It's like there are only so many hours in the day, and you know that like the best your best life, or you know your the life that's going to create the most happiness or fulfillment from you, is probably going to have X amount of hours for yourself and your partner. And that every time that you probably spend like giving that to someone else is probably going to take away from those two things. So I think I'm trying to reframe it that way. And I'm like, you know what? Like, even if I get the odd message, he's a dick. He just ignores me. I'm like, I want you to know, I'm actually just kind of like trying to put myself first for a bit. And I think I've just got to do that.
0: For sure, brother. For sure. Let me ask you, man, what, what would you say that your purpose in life is?
1: um good question i don't think i wish i had a really romantic answer for you you know i wish i could really say my purpose in life is to get out of bed and do this i think i think ultimately you i don't have a singular purpose like a a a destination perhaps but i think it's it's more of like a doing thing um and I also think like purpose can have multiple avenues. Like, you know, like you can have a purpose in family and you can have a purpose in career and you might have a purpose in health mm. or, or or giving back or something like that, some sort of topic around that area. You know, I think there's multiple lanes. Maybe they all connect to the same kind of mission statement. I don't know. But um, I think for me, I just know that like the life I've created is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing with it right now mission i'm on with porter james sports is the most purpose i've ever felt with my time ever in my 33 years on this planet mm. you know, and i know that so i know i'm I'm doing the right thing um what about you bro what's your what's your purpose
0: well if i if i had to put a statement to mine, i've thought deeply about this so it I'd like to think it sounds romantic. <laughs> it's um, to uplift and inspire hope in others through story. Like story is the thing I love. And I see my own story having, you know, been challenged by my cystic fibrosis and having had, you know, the the diagnosis and the, you know, sad prognosis and being told that I wouldn't survive my teenage years. All of that has given me the opportunity through my story to uplift and inspire hope in people who feel as though they need that in their life so that's how I define it but I've thought about it in in a couple of different ways right and you know a big part of what I add to my purpose now is just to love the people in my life and and Mel Robbins she's an incredible psychologist has a great podcast talks a lot about this sort of stuff and I've heard Mel say that she thinks we all as human beings have a shared purpose the shared purpose to to show up as the most authentic version of ourselves and to express that. And I guess that makes sense to what you say, right? Like Porter James is an expression of identity, authenticity, and it serves the greater community and and the community of people who love wear and connect with Porter James sport. Right.
1: Totally. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Maybe I struggle with it because my, I mean you're you're helping people through struggle and I'm just helping people look better. So maybe it's a bit more superficial. So I kind of struggle with the depth of it. But
0: But bro, I, but here's here's the thing though. I think that helping people with how they look allows them to look at themselves in the mirror and feel really good about how they're showing up in the world, right?
1: Facts. You how much better do you feel when you've got a fit-on that you just love and you feel comfortable and you know, we've got to wear something. That's how I that's how I position it, bro. Like you've got to wear something. And it's like my ultimately it's like my I just want like the Porter James customer. I want him to be the best dressed guy or girl in every friend group. Like I want, mm. that's like what I want to do. I want to make like, like the Porter James guy in every friend group is the best dressed. Like that's,
0: that's. I like that.
1: Yeah.
0: I like that. Talk to me about the brand. What what excites you about the brand right now? What is something that you're looking forward to with the brand and, and just give us the rundown of what's happening at Porter James sport.
1: Yeah, let's go real specific. Eh? So like, I think, so two and a half years in, um, I think the brand positioning has never been more clear for me. I think when you start, you have these, again, romantic ideas of what's oh, going to be this brand. It's going to do this. It's going to be worn by these people. And you kind of get to the, into the nitty gritty of it and you realize like, there are a lot of brands out there and it may be harder than you think. And I think the, the brand positioning is super clear now. And the way I see it is I think there's like, there's like an everyday category and there's like a high street category. And I think the everyday category might be the brands that are quite accessible, affordable. You might find it at a mall. Um, and there's, you know, um, ones that are um, super cheap. Let's say like a maybe a cotton-on type brand. Ones that are, um, or even a, a bit more. And those kind of might cost around, you know, up to $200 a garment. And you've kind of got the high street category that you see in kind of like maybe luxury department stores or like all the models are wearing or it's the brand that's hyped. And I see Porter James like, at the the bottom of that category and that's exactly where I want to be I want to like a lot of our garments feel luxury um especially like where we're at now and the feedback's like been that's been like really consistent like we're we're uh like I I feel like we provide luxury for a portion of the price point and I think Mm. and I think like that's never been more clear to me and I think when you're at that spot as well, like if you're too luxury, you're only worn by like fashion people and the brand gets a little bit like avant-garde kind of thing or it's kind of hard to wear or it's like why would someone spend a $1,000 on this shirt? Whereas like where I am, I think Porter James is like a very accessible brand for that like luxury shopper that it's like, you know, I've got these high street brands in my wardrobe and Porter James is kind of like my everyday piece that I can kind of stock up on by a few pieces per season. Whereas say for that lower category, that customer that's down here, I think Porter James is like we're the high street brand for them so for example like kids in Auckland aren't really wearing like Acne Studios, Jill Sander, Lemaire, Jacques Mousse like they're wearing like they're kind of wearing everyday brands like they don't really desire these luxury high street brands and I want Porter James to be the, their high street so like I want Porter James to be that piece and you know, we see this when we do their pop-ups bro like like 22 year old kids bringing their mom in to buy their Christmas present you know and it's like or it's like this—the piece that, like, when they go out to their friends, like, 24th birthday, whatever, they put on their Porter James shirt, and that's their good shirt. And to mm-hmm. me, it's like, I'm doing something right now. And and to, to echo that first thing I was saying, it's like we don't—we're direct—we're a direct-to-consumer brand. Like, I'm not really interested in, um, going down the wholesale path. Like, I want to keep it online and control my own, my own narrative. But we're now getting hit up by some luxury stores in Australia, uh, and one in France. We're in one in France already, and um like some like proper luxury stores and I don't call the brand luxury I think it's more of like accessible high street but proper luxury stores are hitting us up now and I'm like okay I'm doing something right you know
0: 100% you are brother and I love the kit for me the standout piece of this last collection is the I think you'd call it like an orangey tone um the, the cardigan man bro yeah
1: that's that's made from um like recycled fabrics which is pretty cool so um yeah exploring like a breadth of, of of fabric now and yeah just going and also like taking more risk with our silhouette like silhouettes like that's like a super cropped kind of boxy cardigan and yeah. my too scared to make that but like now I'm like no fuck it this is what I want to wear this is how I dress so I'm not sure if I can swear on this but right, um, go for your
0: life <laughs> uh
1: and then like kind of like again when you stick to your guns and and follow your gut like it like pretty it's pretty much like sold out in like three weeks and it's like okay mate
0: that's gross. Is it, is it confronting and a little bit scary to go from a space where product sells out? Because correct me if I'm wrong, you you do drops, right?
1: We do drops, yeah.
0: Drops. Is there a, what's the thought feeling around a transition, if at all, from drops to consistent stock?
1: Yeah, this is a good question. Um, and again, very topical for are right now. Bro, I think I've decided that because we're an e-commerce brand, first and foremost, direct to consumer, sorry. Um, I need to be dropping product every month. And then that's mm. going to go every two weeks or even every week. If you look at the best brands, that's what they're doing. And I've been caught up in this, like trying to design to the season thing. And it's just too slow. Um, so I want to drop every week, like in the, like next year, if I could drop every week, that'd be the goal. But we're moving to like, as it is now, every four to six weeks and that's going to be great for business and great for our customer. And it's also in a way that you don't overproduce, bro, because you're very connected to what's selling and what's selling out. So, like, I'm not bulk ordering stuff. We're very good at not like, I'm getting a bit off topic here, but uh fashion is not sustainable. Like, not don't let anyone tell you what it is. Like it's not. It's the least one of the least sustainable industries there is, but probably the first and foremost, the most sustainable way to go about it is to not overproduce to only produce things of quality that will last and are not in an abundance amount when you see a, 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 a brand have to go have a big warehouse sale it typically means they've overproduced heaps of stock and they've got their supply and demand wrong the second best thing to do is to you know offset some of the damages that you're doing um you know through giving back or through biodegradable fabrics and packaging and whatnot mm. but i think what i'm saying with this is by going to a weekly drop it allows you to kind of respond to what's selling and just only order the right amounts which is great for the ba- brands the customer and the environment and with that it's like if my if if, if I'm placing order, but purchase orders with my suppliers every six weeks if best sellers are selling out like I'm just gonna keep topping them up every season like we've got a pair of like Saturday shorts which is some black nylon swimming shorts um weight, but just perfectly cut with probably like I don't know sold a thousand pairs of them in the last like six to 12 months and it's like i'm stupid to not ever keep that in stock you know because people so just like every every purchase order has just got a pair of saturday shorts in it now and it's kind of like it's almost half and half bro that's like best sellers that are like and and variations of them because people still want fresh stuff so you always like maybe recut the black pair and it's like okay what are some other fabrics we can do and how can we embellish it slightly and then maybe like Actually that's probably more like 50 to 70% of the and then like the 30% is like, hmm, this might not sell out. Might have to put a few pieces on sale if it doesn't pop off. It's a little bit brand directional. Maybe that's like that cropped orange cardigan, you know, for example, but like it was a hit. So I think Mm -hmm. that's kind of and then that's kind of like 30 to 40% of your 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 range planning.
0: Yeah, see, I like for me personally, when I think about my wardrobe and man, I haven't bought product in ages because if people haven't got the tone of this podcast, it's it's not, I'm not making a bunch of money right now. I haven't heard uh,
1: the
0: <laughs> Yeah. But I think if I look at my wardrobe, I like, say, for example, I've got a pair of pants that I can rock with five different yeah. upper layers, or I've got an upper layer that I can rock with five different pairs of pants. And I feel like your brand fits that model for me personally. I don't know how you see it, but I see your stuff as stuff that I could wear consistently week on week matching with different pieces and and I know you're big on staples too I heard a little bit of a podcast that you were on at some stage in the last year where you spoke about for you with shoes like there's the same couple pairs of shoes that are on rotation consistency consistently and we've almost got this idea that like I think we've heard the stories of past of like I remember hearing a story about Justin Bieber throwing out a pair of Calvins after he wears it for the first time and like I'm like, that That in no way, shape, or form is sustainable. But we have these ideas where we see celebrities, models, people in that space that you can never wear the same thing twice. Mm-hmm. For me, that's so garbage. Like, if I love something, I want to wear the shit out of it. Facts. I want I'm it pretty- to be withered. I want the color to change. I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I want to get my wear out of something. So that feels like your brand for me where, like, it's consistency.
1: Totally, man. Like, it's um, like my my range is like I've kind of really only got like five styles in it like a whole season it's like I've got like our short sleeve reverse shirts and those are our best selling products they just crank um you know like our baggy fatigue pants like um like some a box knitwear piece and like our Saturday shorts and then some boxy like kind of crop flannels and like of my latest drop that would be 95% of it that's five styles Mm -hmm. Uh, and I've made those same five styles for the last few seasons as well it's just like I'm a big uniform dresser man, I think I think I'm all for like, you know, go explore fashion and do what you want, but like find what looks good on your body and double down on that, you know, and don't buy fast fashion cheap brands. like even if it's like you're only buying like twice a year, spend that little bit more on quality brands who stand for something mm. who whose proportions fit your body. And just rock that and wear them to death. And then when you're done with it, sell it and buy something new or give it away to your younger brother or cousin.
0: Yeah, I dig that, brother. I love that philosophy. And man, I'm gonna I'm gonna close this conversation out with one last question. A question that I wanna ask you. This is your opportunity to to really speak directly to the audience. So the question I want to ask you is if you could share one message with the world and encourage them to act on and and make that message a part of their belief system, the way that they show up in the world? What would that message be?
1: Great question, bro. Um, I think to live a life of intent, you know, to, to, to just don't jump on the hamster wheel of life and just, you know, accidentally end up at 50, 60, 70 years old with like going, fuck, I should have done that, you know? Think, ask yourself, what do you want? And go about it with intent. And that's not a, that's not a set and forget thing either. That's a ask yourself on a regular basis. Am I, is this still the purpose? Am I still doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Check in on that, ask yourself, is this still serving me? But just keep asking those questions and just make sure that you're like, yeah, you're navigating your own life. Otherwise it'll, you know, navigate itself for you
0: joshua hairs i love your work brother i love your story i'm i'm inspired by what you're doing i'm inspired by how you're showing up in the world and and i'm excited for so much so many of the audience to hear your story to now be fans and wearers of the porter james sport brand and and fans of you too brother because you're a good man so thank you for taking the time to be on the show i'm going to make sure that links to the shop socials everything is here in the show notes so everyone can get around you
1: thanks brother i really enjoyed our chat there's some some great questions and uh we're uh we're very similar i think
0: (laughs) similar cats brother so thank you thanks brother thank you so much for tuning into another episode of a lot to talk about it means the world that you guys are in my corner that you continue to listen to the show every week and if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it that would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on, the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I want to pay my respects and recognise the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history and storytelling and as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together and continue to respect the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning in to A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week.